0: Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly And if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. even Malcolm to come and uh, read for us so James for picking up at 13 come now you who say to to to, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do know you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Thank you, Stephen. And remember once again on this Lord's Day that though the grass withers and though the flower fades that the word of our God remains forever. Let's ask his help as we look at his word together this morning. Bow with me, please. Father, we come once again to you this morning in prayer. Even as we sing, Lord, we just uh, give you thanks that we can boldly come before your throne because Christ has taken our shame and guilt upon himself. Lord, he has come forth as the new Adam and where. Lord, we have failed in obedience to your law. Christ fulfilled all righteousness. And Lord, then willingly took our shame and guilt upon himself, upon the cross, that all who call upon Christ might be forgiven, justified. Lord, counted as co-heirs with Christ even. And this is incredible news, Lord, this gospel message that we have been given through the apostles, Lord, through your scriptures, and that we have been called to also um, herald to our own generation we pray that as we consider the words of James Lord desiring that Christians everywhere live with a true living and active faith not simply in word only but also in deed and so God as we consider um, even just our everyday planning and Lord the the hopes and dreams that we may hold in our minds that uh, God we would keep all of that under a high view of your sovereignty. Lord, of your um, ultimate plans and purposes for us and for the world. And so I pray that you would guide my words, that they would be a blessing to your people, and that your spirit would be pleased to open your scriptures to us and to show us marvelous things in your law. We ask all of this for Jesus' sake, and we pray in his name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Thank you. <laughs> title this morning is simply planning with humility, planning with humility from the letter of James here. And this comes right after James has been reminding us of the dangers of worldliness. He's been uh, calling us to be humble before God, to walk in repentance before God, not speaking evil of our brothers, but to remember that God himself is the law giver and the judge. And we are to uh, love and to serve one another. And he uses this phrase which actually only James uses. It's almost an Old Testament sort of call. Come now, he says, you who say. It's almost as though James is wanting to grab our attention. Um, listen to me. Um, pay attention to what I'm saying to you. You who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Now, I admit that even for myself, James' rebuke here um, does seem a bit strange, perhaps, to our 21st century North American ears. You know, we live in an age that prides itself on our own creativity. It, prides ourselves on man's ingenuity. We live in the land, especially in these rural areas, these smaller communities that um, come from generations of working hard to gain independence and acquiring something with our own two hands. And we have an innate sense that if you're not willing to work towards something, then chances are it's not going to happen. If I want to have a garden to harvest in the fall, then I have to plan towards that. I have to prepare a plot of ground, I have to pick seeds and take time to plant those seeds so that in the fall I might be able to harvest some vegetables. If I want to butcher chickens in the midsummer and have fresh meat, well then I have to plan for that. I have to order them ahead of time and prepare a place to raise them. If I want to build a house, we know that you have to do planning. You have to get a drawing and an architect to, to help you put together your plan and you need to figure out how many materials you will need and how much it will cost and can you find the necessary laborers to build the house. You have to take time to plan towards these things. Otherwise, we know they won't happen. And in many ways, it's biblical and right for us to plan in such a way, to work hard towards something. Even the scriptures tell us that if we do not work, then we do not eat. And so we understand the principle. And so it may seem like, well, what, what is wrong with the statement why is james taking issue with a businessman's plan to go into a town and spend some time there and make a profit but he's not coming against planning itself he's not saying that we shouldn't plan or or try to make a profit But he's coming against the sort of planning that excludes God from the picture altogether and and, and leaves no room for a sovereign God to intervene in our plan, making uh, or even overriding our wills. It's the sort of planning that is godless, that is completely man-centered, excluding the fact that we are but humble creatures and God is the creator of all things, the one who upholds all things, who has decreed the beginning from the end. And our plans, though they sometimes come to fulfillment, many times can be frustrated. So James is saying we must preface our plans with this small but crucial phrase, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. (coughs) He says that to plan without taking into account God's own sovereignty over all things, is actually boasting. And that boasting flows out of a prideful and arrogant heart that is an offense to God. And as I said, you, you may think of, look at this even as, as I did and say, well, it seems like maybe James is, is splitting hairs. I mean, is this really that big of a deal? But when you get down to the issue of pride and boasting before God... You realize that it is, even as we saw last week, the very sort of sin that led to the devil's own fall and rebellion. This sort of elevating one's own plans and pride against God, seeking to exclude God. We could say on the positive side, of course, that's kind of the negative side, what we ought not to do um, and and, and how that would be a, a bad thing to exclude God in all of our planning. On the positive side, we could also say in light of the New Testament that it's a mark of every true follower of Christ that they have a desire to do the will of God. That as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, we have been crucified with him in our old desires. Our old will has been put to death by the power of Christ through the gospel. And we have now been indwelt by the Spirit of God who is living within us, and he is forming new desires. He is bringing our will into alignment with the will of God. In many ways, we could describe the new birth as receiving a new want to. I don't know if any of you kids have ever told mom or dad that I don't want to. You've been asked to clean your room or help your brother or sister put on their boots. I don't want to do that. And uh, and in all honesty, many times as adults, there's many things that we don't want to do. And this is the great problem of humanity, that because of the the, the deadening effects of sin, that our very wills have been brought into bondage and subjection to our sinful nature. And so we no longer desire the things of God. We no longer desire to to see and know Christ, to, to be in his word, to be in prayer and fellowship with the saints. These desires are dead. But in the new birth, as we look upon Christ and are saved and born again, we are given a new want to. And our wills become now more and more aligned with the will of our Father in heaven. And our plans more and more continually come under the subjection of Christ's plans and uh, decrees and His word. Jesus would even say in Matthew 12:50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And he would warn in Matthew seven twenty one that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so... The, the, uh, in the new birth as we receive the Spirit of God and our wills are now brought to line with the will of God revealed through His Word, then this is a mark of every true Christian. And some may profess to believe upon the Lord, but if they refuse to do the will of God, to bring all of their planning and subjection to His Word and to His authority, then Jesus says, even on Judgment Day, I will turn those away as though I've never known them. Because their wills have never been brought into subjection to Christ. And of course we know Jesus perfectly modeled and fulfilled this in his own life. He is our perfect righteousness even as we sang together this morning. And Jesus said in John six thirty eight, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, and, and every day of Jesus' life, he perfectly walked according to the will of his father, not taking his own initiative, but submitting himself to God in all that he did. And even as Jesus dies upon the cross and he utters the words, it is finished. What has he finished? He has perfectly finished the will of the father. He has finished all of the obedience to which God had called him and the fulfillment of the prophecies. He perfectly satisfied the wrath and anger of God against our sin, atoning for our crimes against God and finished completely the payment and the will that God had called him to. And James gives us this very ordinary situation, this very ordinary scenario to prove his point and to help us understand the danger Of this sort of godless planning. Of of moving forward with our will. And not bringing it into subjection to the will of God, our creator. We could. He doesn't give us specific um, names here of towns. and, And what exactly this man is planning to do. But. You know, we could say, well, so, on, so and so, somebody desires to go into, say, Edmonton, and their plan is just to uh, spend a year there. And they're going to, you know, he says trade. We may think, well, that must be the the, the stock market. He's going to exchange some stocks and make a profit. Uh, of course, that's not what James probably has in mind when he speaks of trading, trading uh, tangible goods and, and items, maybe articles of clothing or or food or precious metals that they would have traded in those days, and and, and it just seems like a, a very ordinary, a very normal plan. And I think even if if one of us had had you know a business plan and, and yeah, I'm going to go you know to Edmonton and we're going to be there about a year, and our, our plan mm. is just to 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 invest in some in some trades or some businesses there, and after a year's time, we'll have a bit of a profit. And uh, we'll come back and and carry on. We would say, well, that sounds like a a really good plan. I hope you all the best. I I hope that that goes well for you. We, We wouldn't really take issue necessarily with that. It's not maybe at its face evil. And yet what James is saying is that there is a attitude underneath the surface that is actually offensive to God. What's missing is the awareness for this man that all of his plans are carried out before the face of God. And the fact that that this man does not have the final say, but rather God will have the final say. Like I said, this is not a, a, uh, a text against planning or stewarding your resources or even trying to make a profit. Those are all good and biblical things to do. But it must be done in light of God's sovereign rule and reign over all things. And done with an attitude of humility before God as creatures. To boldly assert one's plans as though they're already a realized fact is arrogant and foolish. And so James points out to, to refute this sort of attitude to say, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow, and yet you can so confidently assert your plans and, and state your intentions to, to make a profit without considering what God may do. Even for us tomorrow, you may think, well, tomorrow, you know, I'll probably be back to work and I will put my time in, make some money, and then I'll, I'll come home and enjoy a, a nice meal with my family. Maybe I'll play with the kids and I'll, I'll watch a little bit of hockey or pick up a book for a bit, and then I'll call it a day. But, but really, in all reality, we, we actually don't know, do we, what will happen tomorrow? Sure, we have our plans. We think what normally happens on a Monday uh, morning, but we really don't even know what would happen five minutes from now with 100% certainty, do we? On uh, Wednesday night, we were talking about the attributes of God and how there are some attributes of God that we, we share in, in a small measure um, as image bearers of God, like his love and his wisdom and his mercy, we as image bearers share in some of those things. Uh, of course, the, the fall drastically distorted that image. And uh, in Christ, we are being restored again to, to shine forth the image of God. Um, but then there are attributes of God that we do not share in at all. They are exclusively reserved to God himself and we talked about the, the three omnis that God is omnipresent, He is present everywhere, um, all at the same time. He is omniscient, he, he knows all things from beginning to end. And even as we talked with the children, He is all powerful, He can do all His holy will because He is omnipotent. So, only God truly knows the future, He knows it. Perfectly, because he is the one who has written the story, and we are now playing out the story which God has written. And in fact, oftentimes, uh, even for myself, if there is uh, a change of plans or, or maybe uh, a setback of some sort, like an injury, um, then then my, my oftentimes my reaction is anger. Uh, And this is kind of a strange reaction to injury. I don't, uh, I guess I'm trying to get to the bottom of where that comes from. I think it is connected to this desire to be in control and to have my plans carried out. And I remember uh, one time, um, well, not that long ago, actually, one of the boys woke up in the middle of the night with a bad dream. And so I got up being, you know, the, uh, the Christ-like husband, <laughs> attempting to be to let my wife sleep, and I was completely exhausted. And got up and went over to the boys' room, trying to console them. And I think I was, you know, prayed for them. And then we were singing a little song. And I was standing by the bed, um, kind of leaning on it. And suddenly, uh, I woke up on the floor. I'd hit my head and I had gashed my chin. Uh, and and my wife heard the, the 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 clamor, and so I didn't really know what had happened. I think I, I think what happened was I had fallen asleep while standing, and then basically just fell over, and uh, and and ended up in the hospital with some stitches. And my, my immediate reaction often in those situations is frustration and, and anger. Like, this is, this is dumb. This is silly. I don't, I don't need to go to the hospital. This shouldn't have happened. This wasn't part of what I was intending. I just wanted to get my child back to sleep so then I could get back to sleep. And, uh, and, and I think even in, those, even in those moments to realize that I'm actually not in control at all... And to be reminded of how uncertain life can be. And sometimes my reaction is anger. Because I I want things to just go how I want them to go. I want it to be straightforward. I want it to be simple. But my plans often are frustrated. And often changing. And so God is continually teaching me to walk day by day in dependence upon him. And when things don't go according to plan. To Just ask the Lord to give me a heart of trust in him, of contentment in in where things are at. Uh, In fact, my wife has taken to reminding me when I'm frustrated with a setback or a change of plans. She reminds me that God is writing a story in this very setback or frustration. And of course, that's not what I want to hear at the time. Is her reminding me that God is actually sovereign in this very moment. And he is the one that's writing the story, not me. But it is true, and I need to continually hear that. That my plans are uncertain and and changing at best. And God is the one who is alone, knows the beginning from the end. And James points that out. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Remember who you are in light of God. And then he uses another example in showing the brevity of life For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our life is so brief and yet we think we can assert boldly what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or a year from now. We have to walk humbly. We have to bring all of these plans under the authority and the sovereign working of God and learn to be content when things don't go as we planned, entrusting ourselves to him. Our life is short, James says. It's like a vapor that is there for a moment and then quickly disappears. I couldn't help but even think yesterday we went to the Ski Hill uh, in Worsley and a few of you were there as well. And for myself growing up in the area, the Worsley Ski Hill is kind of one of those places that I've gone most winters for the last 37 years. Well, not quite 37, I suppose. Started around four and, uh, you know, so say 33 or something. And, and so there's a lot of memories in those sort of places where you went as a kid. And I remember as a little kid racing down with your friends, you know, planning your next big jump and, uh, you know, hoping that somebody would watch and all of this sort of thing. And, and it, it's kind of strange to go to these places as an adult and watching your children go down the hill with their friends and doing all of their they are crazy things that they do. And I'm one of the dads just trying to keep my snowboard on the ground. You know, don't want any air time. <clears throat> I'm not trying to do any stunts. I, don't, I just keep, you know, praying I don't break any bones before I get to the bottom of the hill. Realizing that I don't even know where the last, you know, 30 plus years have gone. It just, in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden, all of this time has just evaporated. And we find ourselves getting older. I'm sure... Even those here who are more advanced in years would say the same thing. They watch their grandchildren do the things they remember doing as a child, perhaps. And they wonder, where has the time gone? Life is so brief, so very short. And that should humble us, James is pointing out. It should humble us in all of our planning, in all of our dreams, in all of our ambitions, to remember that God alone is the eternal one. To remember that God is the one who was there when the mountains were called forth, when the stars were hung in space. He was there when, when there was nothing. Before anything was made, there was God, the Eternal One. And He has been the one working and guiding through all of human history, age after age, millennia after millennia, God, the Eternal One, sustaining and upholding all things. And we dependent on him every moment of our life should then bring all of our planning all of our ambitions in subjection to him and 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 daily come before god praying that he would direct our paths that he would guide us in our thinking how foolish to not consider god in the making of our plans I mean, even as you think about our own culture in which we live, you, you can turn on the news, you can open a newspaper and, and read about world events. You could get a, maybe a magazine uh, with, of world events or some topic of interest. And something that should really shock us is, by and large, when we look at much of what our culture is producing, that God is simply absent. He's not mentioned He's not considered. He's not even in the picture. This really is madness. To, to not even consider the very one who is giving you breath. The very one who is keeping your heart beating. And yet to pretend as though he doesn't exist. To ignore him. To, to, to alter what he has said is good. And, and make it evil. And to make what is evil good. I mean our culture is, is really uh, expressing a state of madness. Madness. To think that they can just go on day after day suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. And that never actually come to bear back upon themselves. We know the Bible says that it is appointed unto man to die. And then comes the judgment that we will stand before him and give an account. And let us even learn now to daily bring All of our lives before him and all that we do. He is our life. Paul said in him we live and move and have our being. He is the one holding all things together from the very cells of our body. None of this would continue if God himself was not sustaining it. And so James says instead of just boldly stating your plans and, and asserting what you're going to do or not do... Cultivate this attitude that if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Now, I don't think James is necessarily saying that we always have to preface every plan that we state with if the Lord wills or Lord willing. Uh, I think it is generally a good habit just so that you're sort of preaching to yourself as you're maybe talking to a friend about or renovation your... Excuse me. My throat. You're talking about a renovation or travel plans or anything that you might be doing just to preface it with Lord willing as a way to remind yourself that God may actually have something else in mind. And it also is a testimony to the hearer. Maybe it's an unbeliever who you're talking to and this would sound very strange to them. What do you mean Lord willing you will you know, do this job or go to town or make this trip, and it, it may produce even opportunities to remind people and to explain to people that we're actually not sovereign over our own lives. We are underneath a sovereign God. But James is primarily getting at a heart attitude here. One could say all of the time, Lord willing, or if the Lord wills, and yet still in their heart cultivate this attitude of, of pride and arrogance before God. It really must begin in the heart, this heart attitude that, Lord, all that I want to do, all that I'm aspiring to do, um, I, I bring it before you. I lay it at your feet, Acknowledging that you are the king of kings and lord of lords. That you have, even as we sang, you have ransomed my life from the futile ways of this world. And so I am now really a blood-bought slave of Christ. And slaves don't go about asserting their plans to their master. But they may humbly present them before him. But really submitting themselves to what he desires and when things change, when, when the Lord closes a door in your face and, and, and what you thought was going to be an opportunity uh, seems to be a dead end, you don't respond in anger, shaking your fist at God or crying out, Lord, why me? Instead, entrusting yourself to your Father's intention to continually conform you into the likeness of Christ. And trusting that that change of plans, whatever it might be, is still within the plans of God. And even talking with uh, a few of the guys that were bugging me, um, not mentioning any names, Steve and Steve, but not <laughs> just like, They were bugging me about um, how bad my uh, resume actually looks. And uh, I, was, I got laughing because it's actually really funny when you think about all of the plans that even for myself, I think my life is somewhat marked by um, a change of plans. Plans, things that I thought were going to go a certain way and then the Lord uh, changes it, redirects me. And uh, it's very true. And they were saying, well, you know, I, I apply for a job and they look at it and it's like, oh, so you started a business and that ran for about four months and then you closed the business? Did it shut down? Did it go bankrupt? What happened? Uh, it's like, well, no, the, the Lord has a way of, of changing our plans and, and that can be sometimes frustrating but actually it's a beautiful thing when you continually remember that he is the one who is in control. He is the one who is directing all things. And so we, we make our plans and we move towards those, and sometimes the Lord blesses it, and it goes forward. Other times He, he, he redirects us, and, and things change, and we end up somewhere where we never thought we would end up. But we learn to recognize God's designs, His providence in it. We, we look back and we see His fingerprints of provision and providence through those very experiences that we thought were the end of our plans actually become a way that God has moved us, redirected us. And I'm sure all of you could share various stories and ways in which you thought something was going to happen a certain way and then it suddenly changed and, and yet God today is still faithful. As the psalmist said in Psalm 16, 9, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And the challenge as Christians is to learn to rest in that sovereignty of God. He will be the one who will establish my steps. Yes, we should be diligent to plan. Yes, we should be diligent to prepare and even to to dream and to think about things we would desire to do with our lives, assuming it doesn't contradict Scripture. Um, But there is freedom that God has given us to pursue things and to, to, to work here or there. And yet, in all of it, we bring it before him and trust that his will will be done. Even as Jesus goes to the cross in submission to the Father's plan, that he might deliver all of our uh, deliver us from all of our godless planning. Jesus would pray, "Father, if you are willing remove this cup from me; nevertheless not my will, but yours be done." Jesus Continually, even before the cross of Calvary, submitted his will, his desires to the Father and said, Father, I, I desire that this cup would be removed. I don't want to go through the cross. I don't want to go through the, the outpouring of your wrath upon me. But I subject my will to you. And thankfully, Christ was obedient to the Father and he suffered upon the cross as one who had lived his whole life ignoring God, that we might be counted as one who perfectly did the will of the Father every day of our life. And that is an incredible. Reality That we are not to walk in guilt and shame at maybe the failure in the past to obey God, to bring all of our plans before him. Because we look to Christ who has perfectly obeyed, perfectly done the will of the Father, suffered and died as one who has ignored God all of his life in our place upon the cross and was raised on the third day in resurrecting victory. And so we are called to day by day offer up all that we do to God to see it as an act of worship to him. And I know it's a a tremendous blessing even today. We're uh, celebrating together with an opportunity God has given for for me to give myself fully to pastoral ministry and and to be more diligent in the studying of his word and the the equipping of the saints. And I, I tell people that I'm entering Uh, full-time ministry, because I'm not really sure how else to describe it. But don't forget that, in a sense, we are all in full-time ministry. All of our plans, all of our ambitions are to be brought to God and rendered as an act of worship. Apparently, Ruth Graham had a sign above her sink that said, Divine service performed here three times daily. Daily. And uh, I've heard that confirmed from people who saw the sign. Um, But that's a very profound and yet needed truth, isn't it? Even as you think about your life, what might seem mundane, what might seem ordinary, might seem just going through the motions, as you learn to, to bring all of that with a heart of worship to God and thankfulness to God, a desire to honor God in those even of washing dishes and doing laundry or changing attire or, or helping you know, uh, on the farm or milking the cow or whatever it might be that you are doing throughout the day, as you bring that up to the Lord and say, God, be glorified in my life. I do this unto you. I submit myself to you in this. I want to honor you. It becomes divine service and worship. And that's what we are called as followers of Christ. Offering all of our life to him. Bringing all of our plans, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions before the foot of the cross. And saying, Lord, use me for your glory. Help me to honor you. And even if things don't go how I intended or hoped, I will yet praise you and worship you. And James concludes with the statement, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So it's not just about the sins of commission that we must guard against, but it is also the sins of omission. Things that we know we ought to do and yet we fail to do. And let us not be foolish to seek to omit God in our planning, but to... To intentionally render all of that to him. Walking in obedience to what he has told us in his word. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ. And you carry around the guilt and shame of your own failure. Of your own failed plans. I urge you to see Christ, your perfect Righteousness, your perfect obedience to the Father, and see Christ who willingly took your shame and your guilt upon himself at Calvary and suffered and died. And he said, It is finished. The fullness of God's wrath was satisfied in Christ for all who believe, who will repent of their sin and believe upon Christ. You are forgiven. You are counted righteous. You are counted a child of God. And we are commanded then to be baptized as a declaration of our allegiance to Christ, a putting on of this covenant sign in his blood. And so I urge you this morning, if you have not done that, to be obedient in that as well. Let's close there this morning. Uh, We'll pray and uh, we will have a final song. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we come before you and just thank you for, Lord, how clear your word is so many times. And as we look at this letter from James, Father, we see that, Lord, there is really no misunderstanding what he is telling us. But as we seek to apply this truth in our lives, Lord, we know that we're often uh, forgetful, that we're often distracted, or we get so busy going our way and making our plans that we forget to, to pause and to just pray and ask you for wisdom, to acknowledge, Lord, that that you are still God in heaven and and you are the only sovereign in all of the universe, that we would walk humbly before you as individuals and families, Lord, that you'd help us to train our children in this as well, that we would be uh, a humble people before you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his perfect obedience and submission to the will of the Father that we might be counted righteous and as obedient children. Help us to live this out day by day, in all that you've given us to do. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.